0: The title of my message this morning is Exceptionally Ordinary. (laughs) Exceptionally Ordinary. And uh, those words do not go together. You know, I I doubt that we've ever seen them uh, or heard them as two words following each other, one word following another. And I thought of Exceptionally Ordinary is from 1 to a 100, you're an exceptional 50. (laughs) You're 50. You're an exceptional 50. It's like... But that's just ordinary and exceptional. So they don't belong together. Well, this morning we're going to look at Nehemiah. And we're going to look at this, this prophet that we see his writings and we see his ministry. And he seems such an ordinary person. But you see, inside of every one of us is an exceptional person. You see, we think sometimes that we're just ordinary. But you see, we're an exceptional ordinary meaning that inside of us there is an exceptional person that excels in being you, being uniquely you. And that is the person that God created to be his instrument at this place and this time in our life. So we see Nehemiah. He's a, he is an indication of what God can do and how that God can work through a person's life in a very risky but yet entry-level job. In Nehemiah, we see God working through a person who will change a nation and whose qualifications seem to be just not up there with everybody else. So Nehemiah, he was a common man in a very unique position. He was an ordinary man in a very seemingly ordinary but risky place. God prepared and God positioned Nehemiah to accomplish one of the Bible's most impossible tasks. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. How that God used the man, Nehemiah, to do who was a ordinary person to accomplish something exceptional, something that just didn't, seemed was an impossibility to overcome. He was, Nehemiah, was a cupbearer to the Persian king Artaxerxes. Now, being a cupbearer to the king was that um, he got to drink everything that the king got to drink. Isn't that good? He gets, but what happens is, he got to drink it first, and if he didn't die, then the king could drink it. <laughs> How many going to sign up for that job? It's kind of a cushy job. All you got to do is sit around and drink from the king's cup before he does. <laughs> so the king, if you might imagine, he was ruler over much, but yet his kingdom came down to one individual willing to take a sacrifice for his life to be the king's cupbearer. So, He positioned him, God positioned him in a place of being the king's trusted servant. But Nehemiah, his heart was not for the kingdom of Persia. His heart was for Jerusalem. And he was a Jewish individual that had uh, not returned to Jerusalem after the the different conquests. If you look at a kind of a timeline, in 586 B.C., we have Jerusalem being captured by uh, the Babylonian king. So that's 586 B.C. Then after that, we have the return of the exiles to Israel. But the return is not like it should have been. The people, you know, they had kind of settled into Babylon. You know, Babylon's philosophy was we, we capture the people, we bring them to Babylon, we... Um, reorganize them, we reprioritize them, we bring them into the Babylonian culture, and then we assimilate them. Well that was how that the Babylonians conquered their lands and how that they conquered people. Well after the period of time they were Jerusalem, Israel was supposed to go back. The Jewish people were supposed to go back to Israel because God had punished them for their sins, for their lack of staying close to God and the lack of allowing themselves to adhere to uh, the one God, Jehovah. So there's kind of instrumental times in this timeline from 586 B.C. down to the first return at about 580, 538 and the temple being constructed in 516 and Artaxerxes in 465. So you see these, there's, it's, it's decreasing from 586 towards uh, the birth of Christ. So we have Nehemiah, which is about 445 B.C., which is about 140 years since Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego got taken to Babylon. So it's about 140 years since the beginning of the book of Daniel. And so now that Nehemiah, he's been praying, and he's heard, and he's heard what's going on in Jerusalem, he's concerned for it, because his heart was there that, the, the kingdom of Israel, the kingdom of Israel would be reestablished, and it was—it was his desire that God would have that remnant of people, that group of people that were designated as His chosen individuals, that they would be back in Israel and back in Jerusalem. Well, Ezra, in the book of Ezra, you read how Ezra went back and he started the. Uh, got the people back to the, king, back to the temple, back to the word of God. But Nehemiah, well, Nehemiah is called to do an impossible task. The walls of Jerusalem are in ruin. And you can't have a nation that doesn't have a secure capital, doesn't have a secure city. And so Jerusalem is the place that they want to go back to and they want to rebuild the, the walls of Jerusalem need to be redone. So God began then to speak to Nehemiah. Nehemiah longed for Israel. He longed for the city to be rebuilt and for the walls to be rebuilt. And God wanted it done. So when God's, God's will and a man's desire come together, we find a, a calling. And so God began to speak to Nehemiah, and he began to make a plan for him in his mind and his heart as to what was going to happen and how he was going to do this. So he would have a part, Nehemiah would, in rebuilding this, in rebuilding this city. Now, it's something how that when Jesus <laughs> when Jesus needed something done, he simply took something very ordinary and blessed it when he fed the 5,000 you know he used the five loaves and two fishes of this little boy's lunch to feed 5,000 men plus women and children you know Jesus could have said you know everybody pick up a rock beside you and they pick up a rock and says Jesus would say be bread and there would be bread so if you picked up a little pebble that's all the bread you got picked up a big rock my you had a whole loaf You know, wow, this is a pretty good thing. You know, according to your faith, let it be. You know, it could have been one of those illustrations or one of those stories. But he didn't do that. He took a little boy's lunch, prayed over it, blessed it, broke it, divided it up among the 12 disciples, and the 12 disciples divided among 5,000 men plus women and children. That's kind of a great miracle. It is something very ordinary, Something very ordinary, an exceptional ordinary. <laughs> it was an exceptional ordinary. That five loaves and two fish. Five flat pancakes and two sardines, <laughs> to be more specific. He took what an exceptional meal, what an exceptional ordinary that Jesus found in this little little boy's lunch. Well, you see, when grace, when the grace of God comes upon our life, it is this exceptional ordinary. When the grace of God touches our life, and and it is the divine favor of God, that it's the unmerited favor. God's grace is unmerited. We cannot earn it. We cannot make it. We cannot produce it. We cannot make God give it to us. He just gives it to us. So the grace of God, the exceptional favor, the unmerited favor of God upon our life is for everyone. And so we find ourselves in this place of unmerited unearned blessings and unearned grace upon our lives well nehemiah (laughs) was the man whom god had chosen to do the impossible nehemiah knew the problems of jerusalem and he could have been a complainer (laughs) you know Jerusalem isn't built. You know, I don't know what's going on with them people over there, why they don't get their job done. <laughs> I don't understand why these people are not rebuilding the walls and what we're getting themselves back in church and getting themselves back in the temple. I don't understand. You know anybody like that? <laughs> Who is a chronic complainer? You know, this is wrong and that's wrong and, you know, he's standing afar off and throwing insults back to Jerusalem. Well, that's not Nehemiah. I have a little story here it kind of fits in with uh this part this part this part <clears> this <throat> this point of the of the message a lovely little girl was holding two apples with both hands her mom came up and softly asked the little daughter for uh politely and sweetly could you give your mom one of your two apples the girl looked up at her mom Mum, that's the word used here looked up at her mom for a few seconds, then she suddenly took a quick bite on one apple and then took a quick bite on the other. The mom felt the smile on her face freeze. She tried hard not to reveal her disappointment. Then the little girl handed one of the bitten apples to her mom and said, Mommy, here you are. This one is the sweetest imagine what this story is about no matter who you are how experienced you are and how knowledgeable you think you are always delay judgments give others the privilege to explain themselves what you see may not be the complete reality never conclude another's thoughts Which is why we should never only focus on the surface of judging others without understanding them first. Those who like to pay the bill do so not because they are loaded, but because they value friendship. Those who take the initiative at work do so not because they are stupid, but because they understand the concept of responsibility. Those who apologize first after a fight do not do so not because they are wrong but because they value the people around them those who are willing to help you do not do so because they owe you anything but because they see you as a friend those who often text you do so not because they have nothing better to do but because you are in their heart those who take out time to chat with you does not mean they are jobless or hopeless or less busy, but they know the importance of keeping in touch. <laughs> so you see, Nehemiah, was, he was in touch with what was going on in, in uh, Jerusalem, but yet he found himself in a place that he could have been very critical, but instead of being critical, we have this prayer in Nehemiah chapter 1. Did I write chapter 1 or chapter 2 down on that? Okay, good. Chapter 1, beginning at verse 4. When I heard these things, so he's heard about what's going on in, in, in Israel. He's heard about what's happening there, and this is what Nehemiah's response is. Now I heard of these things, and I sat down and wept. For some days lamented and fasted and prayed before God of heaven. Then I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and obey his commands. First of all, he begins by stating what he believes. He believes that the God that, of Israel is the God of the covenant, the God of the agreement that God initiated to be with his people. The, the initial promise that God had made to Abraham, and then to Isaac, and then to Jacob. So he, he calls upon this God who has given promise to, his, to this nation. Let your ear be patient, excuse me, let your ear be attentive and your servant, the people of Israel. I confess the sins that we Israelites, including myself and my father's house, have committed against you. He begins by confessing the sins of the entire nation and of himself. He doesn't go into this, you know, those people in Jerusalem, they need to get their act together. (laughs) He's No. The people, we've all sinned before you. We've all fallen short. We have acted very wickedly toward you. We have not obeyed your commands and decrees and laws that you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instructions you gave your servant Moses saying, if... You are unfaithful. I will scatter you among the nations. But, okay, you see, they were unfaithful went into the Babylonian captivity. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even your exiled people are at the farthest horizons. I will gather them from where, there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. He remembers Nehemiah does. So he has his his prayer in line with everything that God has promised to the nation of Israel. He has put them in place. Now they are your servants and your people, whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant. Did you ever discount your prayers because it's you praying? (laughs) well, he, does, he has better things to do than listen to me. You know, there are more important prayers than mine. No, there are no, more, there are no other prayers that are more important than yours because every prayer is important and every situation is of value. And so when we become the vessel through whom God will use, you see, we have value because you are exceptionally ordinary We look at ourselves and say, of 100, we are 50, we are kind of in the middle. And we always kind of say that, well, we're a little better, a little worse. You know, we're 51 or 49. We don't very much stray from the middle of the road. You know what happens to the person who walks down the middle of the road? They get hit from both directions. So (laughs) we find our lives being challenged in many different directions. But you see, we're not ordinary. We are an exceptionally, we are an exceptional person with unique qualities of individual, individuality. So, O oh Lord, let your ear be attentive to my prayer. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. Nehemiah is going to go before the king. And the king values Nehemiah and he values his relationship, and he values his friendship, but he is not in a position to rebuild Jerusalem. But he has an exceptional relationship. Did you ever know that your relationship with certain people is exceptional? You have exceptional relationships. You know, we may, well, they're not that important, they're not the king, but that doesn't matter. They are important because they are connected to you and God has you connected to them and so that he can bless them through you. You see, you're an exceptional individual. That is an exceptional challenge, channel. You are an esteemed channel through which God's spirit is going to flow to be able to touch other people's lives. Amen. Thank you. So we have this understanding that God is at work in our life through... Who we are and what we do. So Nehemiah goes to the king, and the king says, Nehemiah, what's going on? You're all downcast, you're all sad. Well, I'm sad because Jerusalem is in ruin. And we need, and I, I want to do something. And this is what needs to be done. I need to go back to Jerusalem and I need to. St- somehow bring all the materials that we're going to need, the woods and, you know, the timbers and all this, the king says, go ahead, whatever you want. <laughs> you've got a blank check, <laughs> and you've got passage from here to there, which is over 1,000 miles. So Nehemiah is going to travel from here to Kansas City, almost to Kansas City, Kansas, <sighs> Kansas City, Missouri, They're the same city, just on different sides of the river. So (laughs) he's going to give you permission to go from here to Kansas City. And it's going to go by camel. (laughs) And you're going to go by donkey. And you're going to get there. You're going to walk. So when Nehemiah wanted to go to Jerusalem, it's not a trip from here to the mall. (laughs) It's a trip from here to Kansas City. So he takes off with this declaration from the king. He has a a plan in his heart. He has a desire to see the walls rebuilt. He makes the thousand-mile trek to Kansas City. Well, did you ever want to do something for God and it just worked perfectly? (laughs) Did you ever have a plan that really came together? That there were no problems, there were no difficulties, and no one was against you? Well, Nehemiah has a wonderful idea. He arrives at Jerusalem, and for three days, he doesn't tell anybody why he's there. (laughs) He arrives at the city, and he doesn't say anything, he doesn't do anything, but every night he's out walking around the balls. He's walking around the walls that have been burnt and pushed over and the gates that have been torn apart. There's nothing left except rubble. So this is 140 years since the walls have been torn down. And since the almost 140, it wasn't quite at the initial, it was towards the middle of the captivity, so maybe 120 years from where... Nehemiah is that these walls have been set, torn apart and left in ruins. so there's people inside of these walls now I, I wondered how big this was so if, if you take a walls um, it's a 15 mile journey around the walls so that's like going perhaps from here to the mall to value city old value city and back to here that might be around 15 miles so we see that what Jeremiah wants to do is to rebuild these walls, and he's not telling anybody why he's there. And so for three days, he goes out at nights and marches, marches, walks around the walls to see how bad they are. So what he does is, when he's got everybody's curiosity, he said, you want to know why I'm here? We're going to rebuild the walls and for whatever reason it was everybody says yeah we'll do that so it gets all the people together and he does a very unique concept he has people build the walls by their house and <laughs> by their homes because if you're going to build a weak wall you don't want it to be by your house you know, you can be on the other side of town. You can be up in Richland. Those people in Richland, we can just let their wall alone. But the wall here, we're going to take care of our wall. Well, that's what he did. He had everybody do their thing on their part of the wall, and everything's going good. He had them working and so on. But you know, when you, when you do anything, there's always somebody against it. Well, there was Sanballat who heard that they were rebuilding rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed because he was the leader of, let's go raid the city when we need anything. (laughs) You know, they had free reign of raiding the city anytime they wanted because there were no walls, there were no gates, and as soon as the people had anything, he would go after it. And he could get it because, what are they going to do? Who's going to stop me? So Sanballat, he doesn't like what's going on. So what does he say? He becomes the chief critic. He, he, (laughs) I like this part. He ridiculed the Jews, and in the presence of his associates, the army of Samaria, he said, what are these feeble Jews doing? Did you ever try somebody in something? what are you feeble-minded people trying to do? The first thing that we have, the first encounter we have when we want to do something for God, and the first encounter we have when you think that you are exceptional, is you're going to find your critics, either a self-appointed one or somebody else that's going to come by and and give you the criticism. What are you feeble-minded people doing? Will they restore the wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish it in a day? Can they bring stones back to life of those heaps of rubble that burned as they are? How are they ever going to rebuild the wall? And then, of course, you have somebody else who's going to be the critic, and his name is Tobiah. What are they building? Even if a fox climbed on the wall, they would fall down. <laughs> what a ridiculous thing. See what happens whenever we want to do something for God? Whenever we want to do something exceptional, there's always a critic. And you know what? If we don't listen to the critic, they just go away and never come back. (laughs) No, not so. They don't go away. They kept on building. And the second time, Sandballot and Tobias, what did they do? When they heard that the repairs of Jerusalem walls had gone ahead and that, the, and that the gaps were being closed, they were very angry. They all plotted together to come and fight against the Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. So not, now are they not only being critical, they're going to come and fight. And they, and they, they promise that they are going to come so secretively As you read through here in chapter 4, they're going to come so secretly that they're going to be among us, and when they get among us, they're going to kill us all. And so they plotted. What did Nehemiah do? He prayed. When people plot, God's people pray. (laughs) When people plot, God's people pray. Because we are an exceptional. We are an exceptional person. We are a person of excellence not because we're perfect but because of the God who works and flows through us. And you know what happened? People believed the lie. In in verse 12, then the Jews who lived near them came and told us 10 times over. <laughs> you know the people outside the wall came, they heard from the Sanballat, they heard from these that we're all going to die. Did I tell you we're all going to die? Did I tell you, oh, we're all going to die, the sky is falling, it's all over, Sambal is going to come, he's going to destroy us. Did I tell you that it's not going to work? <laughs> Ten times over, there were these individuals coming in and trying to get the work to stop. You see, when you, what Nehemiah's answer was? We're going to put men, half of the people are going to work, and half the people are going to stand guard. And when the people who are done working, they're going to stand guard for the people who are worse than any God, and they're going to work. And so everything's going well, and they're about halfway done. So now all the critics fall apart, all the problems fall by the wayside, and no. Now the people themselves say, why are we building a wall? The poor people say, why are we building a wall for the rich? They own us what they did was the rich, they would give to the poor, loan to the poor, and the poor couldn't pay it, so they became slaves to the rich. Now they are rebuilding the wall so that they can become better slaves. So they go to Nehemiah and say, Nehemiah, we're not doing it. We're done. Every time Nehemiah gets a certain place, other people come along with a different problem. You see, because we're doing something for God, because we are an exceptional person, doesn't mean we don't have difficulties. Be- we find ourselves like Nehemiah, we need to always be a person of prayer. Because it was the prayer of Nehemiah that initia- initiated division. It was the prayer of Nehemiah that got him to Jerusalem. It was the prayer of Nehemiah which gave him a plan. It was the prayer of Nehemiah that gave him insight into what was going on with the surrounding people. So Nehemiah, what does he do? He gets the rich to sign off on all their loans. And that every man is a free man, and every man now is equal footing in the city of Jerusalem. So now they're getting back to work. Then word came to Sanballat, Tobiah, and, and, and Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of the enemies that I had rebuilt the wall and not a gap was left in it. Now what do we do? With the enemies on the outside, they come back with another attack. They said, Nehemiah, you're a good man. I want you to come and visit us outside of the walls, over here in a a couple of miles from Jerusalem. We want to have a secret meeting with you. We have a plan so that we can all live together in peace. Okay, and I remember some guy called me on the phone once. He wanted money from, you know, the church and from me. And that we would, he said, you know, I want to meet you about 10 miles from Jerusalem, Jerusalem, from Wimber, out in the middle of nowhere where these two roads intersect. Can you meet me there? Well, let me think about this. (laughs) No, I'm not going out there to the middle of nowhere to meet some stranger that I'm going to give him money. Well, what was going on? Nehemiah had insight to know I wasn't born yesterday. These guys are going to try and kill me. So he wouldn't go. So then after all that the enemy stops. No. The enemy now says Nehemiah we're going to send a letter to the king and we're going to tell him you have set up your kingdom against against the king and he's going to come and destroy you. Well, the king, Nehemiah knew that the king wouldn't believe them. And they were all trying to frighten us. This is verse 9 of chapter 6. And they were all trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak for the work and it will not be complete. But I prayed, and now now strengthen my hands. You see, whenever we get tired, whenever we get frustrated... When things get difficult, difficult, we need to pray. And praying for strength for the hand to do the work is a good thing. Praying for wisdom to be able to understand what is happening is a good thing. And you see, no matter what conflict comes into our life, God has promised, you said, Lord, all things will work together for good. You said. You see, God had Nehemiah as a cupbearer to the king. Do you know how Esther became queen? She won a beauty contest. God had his people at the right place for the right moment to do the impossible thing. You see, Nehemiah was an exceptionally ordinary person. He was an exceptionally ordinary person He was just an ordinary man in an ordinary place, but yet with certain relationships that triggered his ability to change a nation. And what is so unique about Nehemiah? Nehemiah completed the wall in 52 days because he was able to inspire, he was able to lead, He was able to battle the difficulties and he was able to face the opposition and he was able to complete the task that was born in his heart a thousand miles away drinking from the king's cup. You see, and that's the exceptional ordinary, the exceptionally ordinary position that we are in, that each one of us are in. That we look at our life and we say it is just 50. <laughs> I am exceptionally ordinary. But you see, we're not ordinary. We are completely unique. We are completely different than anyone else. And each of us have a position in the body of Christ. I'm just a cupbearer for the king, I die first. <laughs> What a great job. (laughs) Yeah, right, we're not signing up. But you see, our job is not ordinary. It's extraordinary. Our position is exceptional because the hand of God is upon your life. And his call can never be canceled. And what he called us to do, he continues to enable us to accomplish it. Because we have a job to do. We have a responsibility to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords to allow him to do exceptional things through us such as smiling at someone, complimenting them, encouraging them, believing and knowing that God is working in our life and he has promised God, you said you would bless us. You said that me and my household would be saved. You said that, and so I'm believing for my entire family. Not just my kids, but all my brother's kids. <laughs> all my family's kids and their kids. And no matter who it is, we, God can unscramble the egg. <laughs> we got some people that are really scrambled. But you know what? God is the God of the impossible. And so we pray for them, and we pray for them, and we believe that God will do a work in their life. But he's going to call us an exceptionally ordinary person that you are. He has called you to the kingdom, just as Esther, for such a time as this. Amen? Let's stand. (laughs) Exceptionally ordinary. (laughs) Yes. Father, we thank you. How can we say thanks for all the wonderful things you've done for us? God, we didn't deserve them, but God, by your grace and your mercy, you bestowed them. And they are your divine presence, your divine favor, your divine blessing. God, the encouragement, the strength, the wisdom, the guidance, it's all in our hearts and minds because you have touched us by your spirit. So thank you, Lord, for this exceptional moment in time where we hear your voice, speak strength and love, forgiveness and life into us. We thank you for this exceptional moment where you call us to be a kind, loving, forgiving person. Amen? God bless you. Be exceptional in your ordinary life. (laughs) Ha, ha, ha.